All your base are belong to us. Hello and welcome Hello. To, to Fake Geek Girls, a podcast looking at nerdy pop culture from both a fan and critical perspective, encouraging the things we love to do better. I'm Missy, I'm a writer, and I feel like it's been a thousand years since we recorded a podcast, so I don't know how to podcast anymore. I'm Mary, a marketer, and I would agree with that. I also feel like I've done a million more things than this, but this is what came to mind, and you know you what? Know, this is enough. You know what we didn't talk about? Huh? Hades Town. Oh, fuck. We didn't talk about Hades Town. You should put Hades Town on there. Okie dokie. We don't have to. I've talked about it before, so we don't have to like go really in depth, but we didn't actually talk about it. Um, sorry for all the missed episodes lately. There'll be more. Yeah. So Emerald City Comic Con happened. We'll talk about that in this episode. Um, and I had to delay the, the last what we've been up to because of the shade we were throwing at Xanadu and the extremely ill-timed coincidence that the podcast we recorded a week earlier was scheduled to come out the day that it was announced that Olivia Newton-John had passed. I just didn't feel right about releasing I, that. I think that was the right choice. Um, so we delayed that by a week. Just It just felt cruel. It, yeah, it didn't feel good. You know, like it's not... It's not like we had any ill will toward Olivia Newton-John. It doesn't hurt us to push it back. Exactly. I just felt, I was just like, oh, this is mean to release this, you know, on the day of her passing. It just felt, it just felt mean. Um, So we delayed that. And then we had Emerald City Comic Con. And now really bad news, PAX is next weekend. So our whole schedule is just like fucked. And then like the week after that, I'm going to be in New York. (laughs) Okay, but good news. I'm taking a vacation and it's during the week. So we won't have to miss that. Yeah. So expect more delays is what I'm saying. Um, the episodes are coming. You know what? You should just be listening to this based off if you like what we're doing or not. So it's, it should be okay. Yeah. And and here's the good thing for me is that it's allowing me to get really ahead on outlines, which I never do. Um, so my hope is that I will actually like have time to do things for fun. Like, um, I just like to say everyone should donate to our Patreon for the work that Missy does on this <laughs> podcast. She should be paid more <clears throat> um, because she works very hard on it. So donate even a dollar. And I don't give any to Mary. I don't do the work. <laughs> I, I just show up and I have read and watched the things. I love that. There was some podcast. I don't know if we guessed it on a podcast where like I didn't have to do any research. And I was like, this is the greatest thing that's ever <laughs> happened to me. But is it difficult for you to not do research? Um, It depends on what it is. Like if somebody just wants to have me on to chat, I'll be like, oh, hell yeah. I don't have to research to chat. Probably. But you I'll should just overanalyze what I said. You should, yeah, I know, because that's the thing. That's the thing, though. You 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 research because you want to be right, and not like a I want to be right, but you want to portray what you've said is a correct. More so than I want to be right is I don't want to be wrong. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I don't need to be right, but I don't want to be wrong. But, you know, more and more women are supporting women's wrongs. And that, and as they should. As they should. As they should. So moral of the story, support, support Missy's wrongs. wrongs and donate to our Patreon. We're just putting it out there in case you don't listen to the end of these. You got it. Missy does so much work. Give us money. <laughs> Give her money. Give the, And then we can do cool things. Yeah. Um, do you 
I guess I'll go first because I'm sure. a bit more. Sure. So I read Pleasure Activism by Adrian Marie Brown. Um, this is a collection of nonfiction essays on the theme of pleasure and its relationship to activism, as you might have gathered from the title. Now, I'm a huge ding dong, and I didn't anticipate that so much of this book would be about sex, which is really <laughs> what, funny. What did you expect? Or did you do Pleasure have- comes in many forms. Okay, fair. I thought, I thought that it... And, but the funny thing is there are a bunch of animals doing it on the cover. And I did not look at the cover. I mean, I looked at the cover. I bought the book. But I did not, like, analyze what was going on in the color or in the cover. I just saw, oh, colors and shapes. And then I read the book and I was like, wow, a lot of this is about sex, which is fine. There's nothing wrong. Missy's a prude. We know this. She supports purity culture. We know this. Uh, that's not true. Please, God, if this is your first episode, that's not no, true. that's not true. Um. I just, I didn't anticipate that so much of it would be about sex and then like a little bit about drugs and then a smaller bit about other forms of pleasure. And I'm not opposed to that, but I was kind of hoping for a a little more... um, A broader idea of pleasure. Yeah, yeah. And none of it was, like, it wasn't bad or anything that it was about sex. And I should have known based on the cover, (laughs) but I was a little shocked by how much of it was about sexual pleasure as opposed to other forms of pleasure. Um, That said, like, I thought it was really good. Um, I really liked it. So the idea of this collection is it's based on an essay by Oja Lord um, about pleasure and about the necessity of pleasure. Um, And this book goes into a lot of writings by Adrienne Marie Brown, but also by other people about the importance of pleasure and how pleasure, um, like how necessary pleasure is to activism, which I think is really interesting because like a lot of activism is is you know focused on change and there's a lot of burnout in activism um and it kind of this is a weird example but something it reminded me of is a long time ago and i'm going to talk about this again galaxy far far away i'm going to talk about this again actually in the sex education episode which is kind of weird but a long time ago back before gay marriage was legalized um mary and i went to a protest in seattle against prop 8 which was a uh, proposition in California, California that would have banned gay marriage throughout the state. And there were nationwide protests held because basically if it passed in California, it was going to pass everywhere else. So there was, it was like a show of solidarity for California. Like we don't want this. So we went to this protest and it was, a, you know, it was a protest. We marched through the city. We were yelling and so on and so forth. Um, and the protest ended in, uh, in downtown Seattle at Westlake center, um, and there were speeches given. And then once the speeches were done, uh, there was a lot of music played and there was a big dance party. And I know that people have like differing opinions on this. I remember this being a problem. Uh, <laughs> I know what you're thinking. In During the police brutality p- protests, um, people were upset that there was dancing at the end of it. And I understand where that frust- like that, that annoyance comes from because it, it can feel as if it's trivializing a very important issue. Um, but this essay actually, or this this book actually really solidified my feeling that that dance party was necessary because we can drown in our own sorrows, it's right? Aftercare. But yeah, we can drown in how much people hate us and dancing, you know, to the silliest fucking music. We were dancing to "Don't Stop Believing." We big, were. It was a big song back then. Yeah, we were dancing to uh, "What Is Love." Like we were dancing to this like very corny music, but it was this huge. Everybody knew it. Yeah, it was this huge crowd of people. We were all dancing together, and part of the necessity of that dance, that dancing, was like we have 
have to celebrate the fact that we are still alive, despite the fact that people are trying to legislate us out of existence, you know? Um, And a lot of this book is about that feeling, the necessity of that joy in the face of all of the horrors, you know, that we have to deal with on a daily basis. And I think that for that reason, this is important reading. You know, I think it's important for us to understand that. This book was, it was kind of hit or miss for me. Um, there was a lot of it that wasn't applicable to my life, which is fine. This book doesn't need to cater to me specifically. The book is actually quite a lot about uh, black female queer joy, which I think is really important and not something I would want change to suit me. Um, and I think it's always good to read about the experiences of people who are different from yourselves and like what kind of joy they take and what kind of experiences they have. So that was all really good. It was just, again, the amount of the book that focused on physical like sex specifically and then on not so much on other things, I would have liked a broader array of sources of pleasure. Um, Not all people enjoy sex. Um, There's lots of things to take pleasure in. Dancing is one. Um, So, it was re- it was a really effective book and there were a lot of really wonderful quotes. One of my favorites. I really like how the cover is though because you have to really truly look at it to know what it is. Like yeah. once you see it like but like even like the pleasure activism is written in a way that's a little hard to read if you're just you can't glance at it. Yeah. So this is a quote from the introduction that I really liked, which is your no makes the way for your yes. Boundaries create the container within which your yes is authentic. Being able to say no makes yes a choice. Um, basically you can't say, you can't truly say yes if you're unable to say no. So when you do say yes with boundaries established, you're better, like your yes really means something. Um, but the essay by Odra Lord, The Erotica's Power is kind of the backbone of this. And it talks about eroticism in like a number of different ways. Um, trying to see if I can find a good... Like, okay, so here's a quote from the Odra Lord essay, Uses of the Erotic. Uh, The principal horror of any system which defines the good in terms of profit rather than in terms of human need, or which defines human need to the exclusion of the psychic and emotional components of that need, the principal horror of such a system is that it robs our work of its erotic value, its erotic power and life appeal and fulfillment. Such a system reduces work to a travesty of necessities, a duty by which we earn bread or oblivion for ourselves and those we love. But this is tantamount to blinding a pain and then telling her not and telling her to improve her work and to enjoy the act of painting it is not only next to impossible it is profoundly cruel so basically what um lord is arguing here is the idea that like to reduce to live in a system that is for profit allows like we can still experience pleasure in this kind of system but it is always going to be limited to be limited and the way that that power exists is deeply cruel. Um, so if you find that interesting, I think this is definitely worth a read. Just know going into it that it is going to be heavy, heavy, heavy emphasis on sex as a source of pleasure, which is not a bad thing. And it is right there on the cover. I should have known, <laughs> but I didn't. Um, there is a, a smaller section that is primarily focused on drugs as a source of as a source of pleasure. And then like the end is a lot about, I guess, like self-care and that kind of stuff. Um, but I found it really illuminating. I found it really interesting. I enjoyed the experience of reading it. Um, and I, I would recommend it. I just think that it, it, it goes a little long. It's a bit long. There's a lot of essays in there and not all of them were as strong as each other. Um, but overall, I found it to be really interesting. Nice. It's good that you read it before sex education, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. And and just that part, the it reminded me so much of that protest that we went to mm-hmm. and like 
what was the function? Like, cause you know, it is kind of weird that we're like yelling and being angry. And then all of a sudden we're dancing to journey, like the corniest song ever. Um, but I still have such fond memories of that. And that was, that was necessary to like, what a horrible thing. Like people are, you know, wishing death upon us while we're there. What a horrible thing to experience. And then to assert our aliveness and our joy. Yeah. Uh, with one another. I think that, um, as a Gen Z, the new, the younger kids, Gen Z and probably even Gen Alpha do this really well. Mm-hmm. I think they're really good at being absolutely vicious while also like finding joy in that viciousness and, and making it fun. And I, and I applaud them for that. Mm-hmm. I applaud them for that. Um, I read In the Dream House by Carmen Maria Machado. Um, Missy was like, read this book right now. And I can't I, remember why I was insisting that um, you read it. I don't know. I, don't I think know. I needed something different. And you're like, read this. And I was like, okay. Um, this is a book that is about, it's a, it's a, not a biography. A memoir. A memoir about Carmen Marie Machado and a relationship in which she had that was abusive with another woman. And it was really interesting. Uh, it was, I think that it probably, for somebody who is queer, would have gotten, like, been, like, really intense for them. Um, whereas for me, I definitely felt like that outsider looking in. And that's fine. I still enjoyed it. Like, I still like it. It was really rough to read, though. Mm-hmm. It is, the, like, the abuse is, I think it did a really good job and something really universal of abuse looks differently in many different ways. And um, she was very emotionally and... Um, not vocally abusive verbally verbally abusive and psychologically and psychologically but she wasn't she wasn't physically abusive she did grab her arm and stuff like that but it didn't really leave bruises there was nothing like physical to someone say oh yes clearly you were abused mm-hmm. and in it, at one point she says i wish that i was so people and it's not even that people didn't believe her but she just felt like people aren't going to believe her and i feel like that's probably so like frustrating and such a real feeling of like I've been abused but I wish I was abused more so people will believe like it's imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. and I thought that she did that really well and so yeah she she how many years did she was she in this relationship I'm not sure it's been a long time it's been it was many years that she was in this relationship and it's the typical um the woman made her feel like she was the only person who could love her and she uh, one of the things that she mentioned that um, I really connected to was not that this has ever happened to me because I've only been with my husband, but um, you're the you're the biggest girl I've been with because the Carmen Maria Machado. I don't know how how big she was then, but um, she's not skinny, and so like the the fact that she kept saying you're the biggest girl I've ever been with, which is like this double <laughs> like is that a compliment is that not a compliment what does that mean and i know that's used a lot on women um and you don't necessarily see woman on woman um violence or abuse abuse for multiple different reasons of like you don't want to show women in abusive situations as the bad person and you really don't want to show queer people yes you really don't want to show queer people a queer woman as the abuser because in society we mostly don't Mostly it's, you know, men, but it still happens. And I thought it was really important um, to portray. And I thought it was really interesting. So the actual book is a choose your own adventure. It's not only choose your own. So it's written with footnotes that reference. And I can't remember the name of it. It's this uh, like reference book of recurring motifs in fairy tales. 
Um, and she uses the footnotes to draw comparisons from the abuse that she's experiencing yes. to the tradition of fairy tales and myth. Yeah. Um, and she just, re- like, there's no, there's no inkling of, like, a choose your own adventure in the audiobook, at least. So. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. yeah. There's a choose, there is a choose your own adventure, uh, series of pages maybe like i would say like two-thirds of the way through. i remember hearing that choose your own adventure and then but i think she just reads through all of it yeah that's um, how i read it i yeah. read through it straight through yeah i think she just reads through it straight through and uh another thing that i really thought was brave to put in there is her uncle who is a very intense conservative but she loves her uncle mm-hmm. and she loves somebody who potentially wants her dead Mm -hmm. um and at one point i cried at this one like she she her she had just broken up with her girlfriend and her uncle showed up and was like what's wrong and she's like i'm a lesbian and i just broke up with my girlfriend she starts crying and he's just so loving towards her and i think it's brave to put that in there Mm -hmm. because it is difficult when you have somebody you love who is conservative and you hear all the time, yeah, you love them, but they still want you dead. Mm-hmm. You like that's complicated. Yeah, <laughs> that's comp. I have I have family that's extremely conservative, and I still love them. I still hang out with them, and it's difficult, you know, to hear like they still are bad people. Like, yeah, the things they believe are bad. I can't forget that. But also, like, I think it was complicated and she did a really good job in showing how complicated it can be and how he just really cared about her. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really brave to put in there because I feel like that's one of those things you could put on the internet and be like, but they still don't want your existence to be a, be there. Right. And that could be true, but that's what I think is brave about it. Yeah. Um. So I really, I really appreciated that part and the fact i think a lot of this book is very brave yeah carmen marie machado is is like on i say this a lot and i mean it i think that she is one of the greatest living writers right now she yeah she her writing is very different mm -hmm. um i find it really fun yeah i find it there are some times when i have to like i had to like go back and be like, oh, I missed a part because I think she's one of those people who's like, it's important to listen to everything. Yeah. Um, so I, it's not, it's not a book I could have like done something else with. Mm-hmm. I, I just essentially just listened to it and I think I played like a little mobile game while I was listening to it. Um, but yeah, it was really good. I, I thought it was an important thing to say. I thought it was brave things to say. Um, and yeah, I liked it. Yeah. I definitely felt like somebody looking in on this relationship because I am straight and I think that's still valid. Yeah, like, no, that's a valid reason. I think it's imp- like, I know this book is about a queer relationship, but it is, I think, also very important for straight people to read it because yeah. it, like, part of the book is about the fact that we expect, you know, a degree of wholesomeness from queer people and that causes us to look the other way to abuses in our mm-hmm. in our society. Like, she talks about at one point in the book, if I remember correctly, her fear of talking about yeah. her abuse because it's going to make queer women look bad. And yeah. she doesn't want to do that. She doesn't she doesn't want to be the person who vilifies a queer woman, but yeah. she's experiencing abuse. I think at one point she mentioned um the first women two women to get married had gotten a divorce and it was a big hit. Yeah. And like 
that that to me was a really good like okay i get it like people could divorce all the time Mm -hmm. and that happens and oftentimes it's a good thing um but the first two women who got married, the first gay couple that got married when it became legal has gotten a divorce and it almost feels like, we'll see. Yeah. And I thought that was really good, a really good comparison of that's something that um, anyone could get. Yeah. She talks about, like in this book, she talks about the necessity of recognizing queer people as mm-hmm. fully, f- fully whole human individuals, um, not as some like, you know, squeaky clean perfect group and when we treat queer people and we treat each other as if we do have to be perfect that is what allows abuse to thrive like when we when we act as though we can't harm one another that is where abuse happens we have to recognize that we're flawed human beings just like every other group um i mean i can only imagine if she had written this after the don't come at don't don't come at me for this. I'm just using this as an example. The Johnny Depp mm-hmm. and Amber Heard case. I can only imagine how scarier that would be. Yeah, because you know the idea that Amber Heard was abusive, and so everyone piled on it, and it just got so ugly. And I'm not speaking more to that than that. Right. Um. I would imagine it would be even harder and scarier because that's guess what? That's what happened. Mm-hmm. That's what happened is people are so quick to jump on women and I can only imagine even more on queer women. And so it's that's why I think it's just a really brave thing to a brave thing to put out there. I can only imagine how terrifying it was from so many different perspectives. So yeah, I liked it. it's a it's a difficult read. It is beautifully written. I can't recommend it highly enough. I, did, I was curious, and I did look on like a lot of stuff on TikTok, and most of it is about Barbie in the Dreamhouse, um, which is great. But a lot of it, a lot of what I did see was a lot of queer people saying this is like one of the most important books I've read. Yeah. So, and I can see that being the case. Yeah, and I, and I mean it's important for for straight people too because yeah. straight people infantilize us too. You know. There were, you know, we can be gay, gay best friends or that kind of thing, but not sexually. You know, you don't want to know about our messy sides. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, not me. I don't care. You specifically, Mary. Well, I'm this just is a call out. Well, you know what? I'm the token straight person. So That's I'm true. actually the one who's oppressed. Yeah, you're oppressed. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a really good book. It's good. It's good. I, su- I, I suggest it, especially. I mean, it's just a really... There's so many different ways to connect with this story. And I think that it was so brutally honest. Yeah. And you like it it really kind of felt like you watched her just fucking rip her skin off. Yeah. Um, I saw Nope with oh, Mary. Yes. Um, Nope is the new Jordan Peele. Well, it's not new anymore. <laughs> it's also been fuck like a month since I saw it. I swear to God. Um, nope is the new Jordan Peele movie uh, with Daniel Kaluuya, Kaluuya, also known as the Kenneth. Um, <laughs> his best role, his greatest role as Posh Kenneth in Skins. Uh, Kiki Palmer, uh, my boy Stephen Yen. Um, so good. I love him. So this movie is about. I don't remember any of the characters' names. No, I remember Jupiter. Right? That's his name? Yeah, because it's Jupiter's... Something. Ascending. Yeah. No, it's Jupiter's... <laughs> no, it's Jupiter's, Jupiter's claim. claim. That's it. And they call him Jupe. Jupe. Yes. Okay. So it is about uh, Daniel Kaluuya's character whose father dies in a strange incident. Um, and he takes over the horse ranch where uh, they train horses for uh, acting in Hollywood films. Um, 
and they start seeing a UFO over the farm. His sister comes back, um, played by Kiki Palmer, and she has different plans for the horse ranch than he does. They're kind of in an argument over it. They're a bit estranged from one another. Uh, Nearby is Jupiter's Claim, which is a sort of... um, rinky-dink little Disneyland affair (laughs) put together by former child star Jupiter um, who uh, is like he has this whole cowboy shtick going on Um, and he's the he's the former actor he was in this show that I have forgotten the name of with a chimpanzee who attacked everybody Mm, I want to say it started with an with a W, like it was like Willie something, but I could be making that up. Um, he was the star in the show where the chimpanzee, like one day, just attacked and killed a bunch of people on set. Um, the movie is really interesting. I think it was a bit too long. <laughs> and it's shocking nobody thought it was a bit too long. Um, but I what I really appreciate appreciate about Jordan Peele's movies is that the first one Get Out was like really direct about what it was saying like it was like you absolutely cannot watch this movie and come away with any message but the one I am intending to give you um but it still did a lot of subtle things like as we've talked about before the fruit loops <laughs> dipping the fruit loops in the milk and the uh uh, the cotton in the Gordy, Gordy's home. Gordy, Sorry. okay. Neither of us were. <laughs> no. <laughs> what did you say, Buddy? Buddy, okay. And you're like Willie. Willie got the the, the end. E sound. Yeah. Um. So Jordan Peele's movies have been like the first one was very direct, but also still had a lot of like subtlety to it. Us was quite a bit, I think, more subtle than. Um, it felt more like a straight horror. Yeah, but it's still not without something to say. It, but at the end, then it's like. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. And then Nope is, Nope actually like required me to like read some stuff about it. Cause I was like, I get, I see the pieces, but I can't quite put them together. Um, but I found it really effective. I think if I had watched it again, I oh. might have figured it out a bit, like figured out what the themes of it were. I, when I watched it with Missy, I watched it for that with my second viewing and it was, I loved it the first time and I loved it even more the second yeah. time. I, I, I think it's my favorite Jordan Peele movie because it's so fucking weird. It is deeply weird. It is so weird. And I I just love that. And I love nobody else could make this movie. Yeah. Nobody else could make this movie. It was really good. I really, really liked it. I appreciated how weird it was. It just it like tells you so much in the in the trailer, but it doesn't. Like if you There's knew so much misdirection in the trailer, it's excellent. <laughs> if you knew though, you'd be like, oh, I see it. Yeah. But there's no you're not if anybody goes in there and figures it out, I'll give them five hundred bucks. Yeah. Like, I, like there's no way. I was amazed by watching the movie and then seeing how much misdirection there was in the trailer. It was great. Like I was so afraid to watch the movie because of the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> it was really really good it's so inventive it's so different than you're probably expecting um i really really liked it i love it i loved it and that's my thoughts on nope yeah it's more really like good. a yep am i right more, more like a yep <laughs> i thought it was great i just i just i could i just appreciate the weird that he brings to things and yeah. i i hope he continues to be able to bring bring the weird and the like the references he brings in from like anime I was reading about and all this other stuff. And I just, yeah. Yeah. I loved it. Yep. Um, I watched 
Prey, and it's on Hulu, and it is the most recent installment of the Predator uh, franchise. It uh, takes place in, I looked this up, so I don't just know this off the top of my head, takes place in 1719 um, in... Uh, it says the northern Great Plains of of what we of North America, and it is the girl who's the main girl. Her name is uh, Amber Midthunder. And what's really cool about this movie is, um, so it's the Comanche people are the people who are in it, and every single person except for the fur traders are indigenous people, um, and they all speak. English essentially, and then the fur traders are the ones you can't understand, and I thought that was really effective. Mm. Um, like I don't even think they give you subtitles, if I remember correctly. For, for the and you can watch the entire movie in Comanche, and they had viewings of it in Comanche. Oh, cool. Um, so, and from what I understand, it's pretty well like representative. Um, I even like National Geographic wrote an article about how <laughs> how well it did. Um, I thought as somebody who's okay with the Predator, whose favorite Predator movie is the Predator versus the Alien, where he gets a girlfriend. I thought it was good. I thought it was good. I know that people who love Predator, including my husband, fucking love this movie. Everybody, most people are like, after this is the second best Predator movie we have. It is so fucking good. It is so good. And I do, I think it's good. If you love Predator, you're gonna fucking love this probably. You'll probably fucking love this. Um, I thought it was good. Uh it was it it's was probably not gonna change your mind about the Predator franchise, but if you're if you're yeah. in, you're in. Yeah. I think that if you are not super into Predator, this would probably be your favorite Predator movie. And unless you're me who's like I'll I'll look to I guess it's a predator versus alien so I'll I'll fight to the day I'm dead that that was his girlfriend in the end. Um you cannot convince me otherwise and if you want to try to we shall rewatch it together and you can get my very good commentary. Um what one of the things I do love about this entire experience is when it came out in the trailers that it would be um an indigenous young woman playing the uh, main lead. Of course, people were pissed. There was things like, how is this small girl going to be the predator? And when like Arnold Schwarzenegger had a hard time and um, woke, what did they call Predator more like it. <laughs> I'm not she kidding. Called it that. I'm not kidding. <laughs> Why didn't they call it that? Because she's not the predator. <laughs> um, she's the prey. Uh, there are some other really good. Like if you just go on YouTube, <laughs> I'm sorry, that's so funny. <laughs> and it's just a lot of people like woke, woke, woke predator. Um, the woke predator up. Uh, and it's just a bunch of assholes. And what's great about it is this is legitimately a very good movie. And it is like legitimately people who love Predator love this. So now all those people either have to be like, I was wrong, which they never do, or have to stick to their guns and say they don't like this very good movie. Big, and I big think Johanna Can Constantine vibes. Yeah, they have to, they, like, they gotta like, they either gotta commit and look like an idiot or say they're wrong and only a little bit look like an idiot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they still look like an idiot. Um, but yeah, I thought it was good. I thought what it, I was, when I learned that 
I didn't know going in that it was about the Comanche people, and I didn't know going in. I didn't know anything going in, and I you was, knew the predator would be. There. I knew the predator was in there, and let me tell you, the predator mask in this is top tier best predator mask by far. I don't care. You can fight me. I don't care. It's the best <laughs> one. It's so it's cool as hell. Um, and when I found out it was about indigenous people, I like the first thing I did was Google because I'm like, wait, am I going to get really mad at this? And all I saw was people praising it for like, there are obviously some issues and stuff. I think, I think I saw that there was an issue with, with the location being mm-hmm. not actually, um, like they didn't ride horses or I don't know. I'm not going to say because I didn't read the whole thing, but I know that there are some people who are questioning some things, Sure. but for the most part, like it was true to Comanche. And apparently if you, if you watch it in Comanche, it it is a better movie. Like the dialogue is better. Not like in, in a way that it gives you more depth. It's yeah. more, it gives you more depth to the movie. Um, and yeah, I thought it was, it was pretty good. I guess some people are calling her a Mary Sue. I don't see it that way I, at all. But you know what? Give me a Mary Sue. I don't fucking care. Yeah. I don't fucking care. It's 2022. If we're still throwing the word Mary Sue around, yeah. then we need to take a step back. Yeah. And um, relax. Also, she like ties her axe to a, a piece of rope and uses it all the time. And that's cool as hell. Mary Sue behavior. Yeah. Mary Sue behavior. Cool as hell. I'm Mary. <laughs> I'm going to name my child Mary Sue. Mary Sue. Mary Sue. <laughs> um, but yeah, I liked it. I think if you like Predator, you'll probably love it. I'd be surprised if you didn't. If you're not super into Predator and you have somebody who's really into Predator, be like, hey, this is a movie we can watch together because I think that it's enjoyable. Mm-hmm. I watched the whole thing. I didn't fall asleep or get distracted, um, which I often do with some of these movies, especially the particularly bad ones. Mm-hmm. I still, yeah, I still like the one where he gets a girlfriend better, but I am probably the only you person. You love a rom-com. I love, you know, I love a rom-com. And I think that's the word I would use to, Actually, I've, never, I've never fucking seen a Predator movie. It would movie. probably be more like a rom whore. Yeah. I like that. Rom whore. Rom, rom whore. Rom whore. Mm-hmm. Um, I like it. And I, I'm probably literally the only person. If you like it, tell me. And then we can be like, yeah, boyfriend, girlfriend for life. Mm-hmm. Um, we should do a commentary. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, yeah, Prey was good. I, I suggested if if you like Predator, I highly suggest it. If you like Predator, you probably have already watched it or know you're going to watch it soon. <laughs> if you're like curious, I think it's worth watching. Predator curious. Yeah, if you're Predator curious. <laughs> um, I do want to go watch go back and watch it in Comanche. Um, but I I'm slow at reading, so like I have to get really close to the TV <laughs> and really pay attention. So I have to be in the just right Just slow mindset. it down by like five. Yeah, I'll just <laughs> Put do it that. at 0.5 speed. I'll just do that. Um, yeah, it was good. I liked it. And she was cool as hell. Nice. She was cool as hell. Nice. Uh, I watched The Batman. That's the new one with Robert Pattinson, Zoe Kravitz. The Batman. Some other people. Um, I thought it was pretty good. I I'm not it. a Batman person. You're not a Batman man. I'm not a Batman man. <laughs> I'm not a bat lady. A bat girl. A bat woman. A bat woman. None a of bat these, chick. A bat chick. <laughs> none of these apply to me. Bat. You're not bat chick crazy. <laughs> that was pretty good. That was pretty good, Mary. Thank you. Uh, the, that was the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I thought I really liked the second half of the movie. Which is where a lot of oh, Paul Dano is so good. I love Paul Dano. We in this house we stand Paul Dano. We don't we don't stand anybody. I don't That is a lie. You stand the cats. I stand Michael Shannon. 
I don't know. My husband and I just love Paul Dano. There's no explanation for it. We also love Michael Shannon. We have reasons, but like I could tell you what they are and they wouldn't make any sense. You do stand Kesha. I do stand Kesha. Um, I can name a bunch of people. A bunch of people. I don't. St- I don't stand. I just like people. The mm. idea that Stan became a thing when like the whole thing is that is that Stan like killed his girlfriend and shoved her in the trunk like is really weird to me. I always thought for a very 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 long time it stood for super fan. No, it, which doesn't make sense when I really think about it. Super fan, super fan. I really was like, oh yeah, that means super fan. I mean, it does. Uh, yeah, it does. But it, yeah, it's probably better than Stan. Yeah. Anyway, um, so now we san. Now we san. I do you simp. I just, <laughs> we don't need to talk about that. To simp or not to simp. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you ask that question? Now I'm like, do I simp? <laughs> yeah, Constantine. That's horrible. I'm sorry, but if someone's writing it, you're simping that. It would. It's horrible that you would say that, and it would be true. It's very true. Um. Wow. Changing the subject. Uh. The Batman. I wasn't overly impressed with Robert Pattinson as the Batman. I'm sorry. I can't see it. I. I'm sorry. I don't understand why they made him so sickly looking. I. I don't know. I just. I didn't. I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. I appreciate that his Batman bo- voice was not the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. Um, Zoe Kravitz looking good as Catwoman. Um, the first half of the movie just really didn't grab me. It wasn't bad. It just didn't grab me in the way that most Batman movies do not grab me. <laughs> so I, I just wasn't really invested. When things take a turn in the second half, I was like, okay, no, this is good. I like this. Um, and I appreciated that. Did you like that? What's his name from James Bond? Was not it? James, James Bond's boyfriend from America. Oh yeah, he that's was, who that was. He was Gordon. Yeah, that's who. That's why he looked familiar. Yeah. Um, Plays yeah. the same character. Same character. Um, I thought it was good. If you like Batman, you'll probably like it. Bob loved it. He loves yeah. Batman. He loved it. If you like Batman, I think you're going to get a lot more out of it than I did. I will say the riddles good those were good riddles um also what's his name playing the penguin why would they do that to him okay but like literally you you would never know it was you him. would never what's know his name it's colin farrell colin farrell you would never I just, know yeah a why would they do that to him b we're still at fat suits in the year of our yeah, lord 2022 true. like Penguins why are not fat. why would just bring danny devito back that would be cool. He was per- he was perfect. We don't need anybody else. Like he looked indistinguishable. We just don't need it. But Paul Dano probably was my favorite. Paul part. Dano. Was I would great. say that's probably one of my favorite villains, just because it's so- they did such a good job in making him so unsettling. Yeah, he was scary in a believable way, yeah. and not so. He was cartoony still, but not cartoony. It felt modern. Yeah, I yeah I thought that I thought that the use of the Riddler was really um, really effective. I thought it was a really good modern update. Yeah, yeah. Um, the emo stuff is th- someone just really they're like this is what we should do and that person should get paid a lot of money. Yeah, it didn't do it for me, but that's okay. He was so his his cheekbones were just protruding out of his face. He was so thin. Yeah, not everything has to be for me, but I did like the second half. I think if you like Batman, this is a this is a good Batman entry. I'm just not a Batman person. Um, So I thought it was a pretty good movie that I don't need to watch again. 
I watched The Crime of the Century, which is a documentary on HBO about um, the story of Oxycontin. Mm. And I watched this because uh, there's a movie or there's a TV show on Hulu called Dope Dope Town, Dope City, something dope. Um, and it's about this. It's, a, it's about the a, a town going through the um, horribleness that Oxycontin did to this. I think it there on the um, Appalachia Mountains. Um, and I was like, this is pretty good, but I, but I just, I think there's a documentary on this. And I was like, and there is, and there is a documentary. I'd rather watch a documentary than um, the TV series is, is really good. And, um, it, I think it's gotten some awards and stuff, but I, I love documentaries and like, that's what really happened. So I was like, I'll go watch that. This was such a good documentary. Um, it, it really shows how, like, I don't know other people, but I'm really sick of hearing about big pharma. I think they're right. I think you're right. I think you're right. But I'm sick of hearing. We all know you're right enough. I don't want to hear about big pharma anymore. Mary Mary just gets mad at phrasings of things. It has nothing to do with nope. the content. It just is oversaturated at the point when someone starts saying big pharma. I immediately question them. Yeah. You because just, it's reductive. You just hate. You just hate it when any. You just hate buzzwords. I think I, when you hear a certain <laughs> phrase. I'm trying to think of another example. It makes me. It's kind of. What was it? There was one thing. I'm like Mary. That's what it is. You I can't know. be mad. That's just what it is. A really good example, and I think I'm not alone in this. Is woke. Yeah. Like it's gotten to the point where if if your parents start to use it, to me it loses. It doesn't lose meaning. But it loses, like, I don't really know if you know what you're talking about. Yeah. Because you heard it on the news. God, I wish I could remember what it was. There was something you're like, I don't want to hear that ever again. And I'm like, Mary, that's what it is, though. Yeah. Like, that's what, and you're like, I just don't want to hear the words. I I just feel like when people start, I, it's not just this either. Like, there's so many phrases in Star Wars I wish I could, I, I'd never hear again. Like, I've got a bad feeling about this. I fucking hate hearing that. And I just despise it. Um, I just feel like when I hear people say Big Pharma, I'm about to get into a long discussion about about conspiracy theories, about people who probably don't know what they're talking about when this is a real issue that we should be talking about in, with, in a better context. <laughs> Anyways, it truly is about Big Pharma. Um, <laughs> uh, and how... So it was a little bit ago before when I watched it, but if I remember correctly, there was a patent on this drug and it was it was about to go into the free market. I don't know about where people can make generic versions of it. And so they're like, the company that made it was like, well, we need something to offset the loss that we're going to get from people going onto the generic version. And they essentially came up with a straight up drug. Oxycontin is just like a straight up, I can't remember, like morphine. Mm -hmm. It's just, it is just a drug. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not saying that people can't like get benefits off of it. I've had benefits off of it. I had, really get my back it's really bad and it oxycontin and vicodin are some of the only things that have ever made it feel better but um i do it i, I i'm not prone to addiction mm -hmm. and i take very small amounts and that is not how this medicine was being promoted this right. this med this this drug was being given out um sample packets i i've i have experienced this firsthand really not the use of it yeah, so they they did this in a very specific place, the Appalachia. Appalachia? Yeah, it's Appalachia is kind of the the region, including the Appalachian yes. Mountains. Yes, they did it up like a line up there, and they essentially they targeted low income places. Um, 
in the in the show and uh, and they talk about it a lot in the documentary um mining towns where mm-hmm. people often get hurt and have um chronic pain um and they just try and push it and push it this is a miracle drug this is a miracle drug and when you give it to somebody and the next day they're like wow this is great then you do feel like it's a miracle drug, mm-hmm. but then you have, so one of the stories in it, oh, it got, there were so many really like huge trigger warnings for addiction and suicide and just da- over overdosing for this whole thing. But like, there is this one woman who I don't know what, en- what ended up happening, but she got addicted to it and she would just like fall asleep and no one believed the husband that she was doing this. Eventually I believe she overdosed. Um, and he has, he had, they showed pictures of her just, she had fallen asleep while doing the laundry and she was head first in the laundry basket. And it was super upsetting. And I, and I uh, like to show those pictures of your dead wife is so, uh, that must have been very difficult for him. Mm-hmm. And the responsibility that he felt that shouldn't have been his, um, must have been crushing, um, to put this, p- put pictures of his wife who, Easily someone could have said it's her fault. Mm-hmm. It's not. Um, just like put that all out there is just really brave of a lot of these people. And I thought it was so interesting. I think it's super unfortunate how, it's, I mean, this was used to push and push and push. And like it was the fact that they're all salespeople for drugs. It feels bad. Mm-hmm. It feels super bad. Very big pharma. Very big pharma. <laughs> um, the guy who was head of sales, who um, the way that they portrayed him really made it feel like he was somewhere on the spectrum um, in the show. I don't know if that's true in real life, but um, I hope that it is because that would be really weird to put in a show. Um, he, anyways, he, was he was very micromanaging people like hardcore like calling them at one in the morning and things like that and being like you need to sell more you, you need to sell more you need to sell more um this one woman she was she worked at a strip club and she ended up working for the company because one of her regulars was like you clearly are good at selling and she was please come work for me and she became like the top seller um, on the East Coast. And um, it's difficult. It's difficult to watch. I thought that this was really good because you're showing a situation where this woman is trying to pay for school and she is she's just trying to make money in a world that tried to make it so she can't. Mm-hmm. And but at the same time, she pushed this drug mm-hmm. and pushed and pushed. And she was a top seller. And it wasn't about helping people. It was about selling. So I, I did really well in showing the nuances of the people. I mean, ultimately, these people pushed drugs that are, you know, I can't remember what class it is, class drug it is. But there was whole like conspiracies within the FDA. People in the FDA who let it go through ended up quitting like a year later to go and working for this company and um yeah it was really good if you're at all interested in it i highly suggest a documentary it was super good um it's really sad it is really sad and the the amount of people who were addicted lost their life lost loved ones and um the fact like Addiction is a disease, mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily someone's fault, especially mm-hmm. when you have salespeople going in there and your doctor who you are supposed to trust giving you these things. So it was just a completely unfortunate thing. The company still exists. Um, there's 
there is a lot more regulation on this now. Like I cannot just go to urgent care and get this medication anymore. I'd have to like go to a doctor and they'd have to really like, we'd have to have a really long conversation. Blah, 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 blah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's good. It, it does its job. Mm-hmm. I guess you could say, uh, but yeah, I, it was, a, it was a solid documentary. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I read a collect, well, the collection, there isn't a lot of Sappho's poetry. Is it about lesbians? Well, that's the thing. Uh-oh. Um, Sappho is an ancient Greek poet from the Isle of Lesbos. Um, that's where that word comes from, as does the word sapphic. Um, Sappho wrote, was a famous poet in her time, but much of her work did not survive. Um, it was often quoted in other places. Interesting. Um, but there are only fragments of her poetry remaining. Like, I don't, if there are any complete poems remaining, it's like one or two. It's mostly fragments. Um, Sappho very famously was associated, is associated with, um, attraction to women as a woman. Um, the truth of the matter is a little harder to Mm -hmm. figure out because it's unclear whether she is always talking about herself. It's unclear whether she is talking about somebody else. The, the big thing with the edition, edition that I read, I read the version translated by Mary Bernard, which is an, uh, an older translation. Um, there are words in ancient Greek that mean different things in different contexts. So one of the very famous poems by Sappho, this is a total, this is just how I remember it. This is not a quote is something like uh, mother. I cannot weave today. Aphrodite has uh, overtaken me with love for a girl. Um, Basically saying, I can't, I can't weave today. I'm too gay is how it's (laughs) interpreted. The thing with the word girl in that context is that the word that is actually used there means youth and it can be a youth of any gender, but in the way that it's used there, it more often means a male youth. But in this translation that I read, it just says boy. Interesting. So there's a lot and there's a lot of uh, there's like a famous like I think it's a Reddit, a subreddit called Sappho and her friend. And it's just like looking at historians and that kind of thing, looking at historical relationships and being like, oh, these two people are friends, even though it's clearly romantic. There is a lot of Sappho's poetry that reads to me as extremely like a woman writing about a woman. Um, so I don't want to I don't want to downplay that. She reads as queer to me. Um, but it is more complicated than a lot of people, a lot of people realize when you're getting into translation. Um, this edition was not my favorite because it did not just, dist- the footnotes were not clear enough to me with something like the choice of boy instead of youth. That's a choice that was made. Youth is ostensibly what it said. Some people, have translated it to girl. Some people have translated it to boy. In fact, it is not necessarily either of those things. And that's one of the things that you're going to struggle with in translation is not every word has a direct translation. Um, But personally, I would have appreciated a translation that acknowledged that nuance directly on the poem rather than me having to go, hey, I always read this as girl, not as boy. What's up with this translation? And then having to go down that whole rabbit hole myself. Um, Sappho's poetry outside of the translation, I really liked. She has this very, uh, she's very frank. Um, Lisa Frank. Lisa Frank. Uh, she's very, 
like what did I she's very uh straightforward and there's a lot of yearning to her poetry um the thing that got me about the translation was that it just seemed to shy away from discussions of her sexuality which I understand um there's also the fact that like apparently and I don't have a source I like I don't remember where I read this but like Lesbos the island where Sappho lived um has come it came to be associated with the term lesbian it was a if you lived on lesbos you were a lesbian hence a lesbian is a woman who loves woman women sappho sapphic etc um apparently in ancient greek it also just might have meant somebody who loves to give blowjobs and that's the kind of nuance that i want to see when we're talking about this kind Mm. of thing because like it certainly seemed to me like Sappho was romantically in love with some of the people she was writing about. Um, but there's more to it than that. Um, the word that we use to describe her today, we could use words like lesbian, which obviously means something different now than it did in ancient Greece. Um, we could use words like bisexual. We could use words like pansexual. But we don't know if those words fit her, right? We have no idea. Um And I think when we're talking about this kind of thing... Truly death of the author. Yeah. I think when we're talking about this kind of thing, it is good to acknowledge that in translation and in studying these works that, like, we can guess, but we should pay attention to all the nuances of, for example, something like that word that means youth and in some contexts means boy. Um, It's worth acknowledging that there is nuance there and something is going to be lost in translation. Uh, overall, I really liked her poetry. If you like poetry, if you are actually new to poetry, I think Sappho is a really good introduction. Um, like I said, she's very straightforward. Um, her work is not hard to understand. Um, it's very sweet. It's full of yearning. It reads to me as gay. Um, just with regard to some of the phrasing. Uh, so I really liked it and I would definitely recommend it. It's just, uh, I think it's good to approach any kind of historical work like this with some degree of skepticism. And she always has skepticism. She got it in all of her pockets. She'll give you some. Yep. Um, I think it's good to just approach and understand that like what you're reading is not the original and it's devoid of context. And it's good to seek out context when something surprises you, you know, and try to figure out what's happening there. So I'll talk about Hadestown. Let's. Um, Missy was for a long time was like, Hades Town is my personality. <laughs> I'm just kidding, that's not true. But she loves Hades Town. I do love Hades Town. Hades Town came to Seattle, and Missy's like, Yo, these chicken <laughs> chickens, yo, these chickens, you these, gotta check them out. These tickets are too cheap. We gotta go, and uh, we did. And I beg people around me to like the things that I like and I am not always successful. So what happens is I have to force them by making them go see Hades Town. I can't I cannot force Mary to listen to the Hades Town soundtrack. I have tried. But um, we can go watch the, but the play. I ca- if she if she gets the ticket, she has to sit in the room. <laughs> she is trapped. I there. can go to the bathroom. You could go to the bathroom, but it would be so embarrassing. I'm way too much like money is yeah important. Yeah, she's a capitalist. I'm a capitalist. Um, That's not what I meant to say, but I'm not going. I'm not going to explain further. I know what you mean. Um, so if I can if I can get her physically into the room <laughs> and she can't leave the room where it happens, then 
then she is watching Hades Town. She cannot escape. Yeah, Missy only takes me to plays where the ending is sad, but I'm like the only person who found Wicked the ending sad. So uh, it is sad. It is sad, right? I tell people that, and they think I'm weird, and I'm like, but she she has to leave her sister. Yeah. I like, think that's sad. I so I think I would and it's been now a bit since I saw Wicked, but I do feel like Wicked strikes me as more sad than Hades Town. I, I agree. know Hades Town is a tragedy and they say it a hundred times, but as I talked about when I saw Hades Town the first time, like I find the ending ultimately uplifting. You have to I will say, as somebody who is um me, um <laughs> I do feel like you really got to pay attention to that. Like the last scene is so important. Yeah. It's so important. And Missy had to point it out to me because it brings hope to the story. And the we were a bit far over. away. Yeah. The story's <laughs> not over. Yeah. And, and it makes sense because like these are old myths and those myths change mm-hmm. and are never over. You know, we're very, very far away from when they were originally written and they're probably not the same as when they were originally written as as you just talked about. So in Hades, how about you describe Hades Town? Because I'm not good at it. Hades Town is based on the concept album by Aeneas Mitchell, who's a folk artist. Um, The original concept album came out ages ago uh, and it it has been adapted into at least two shows, stage shows. The Broadway one uh, was done by Rachel Chaikin who also did Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812 or whatever. I don't know. Um, So it is sort of a 1930s-ish retelling of the myth of Orpheus and and Eurydice, um, which is about the son of a muse who makes music um, and Eurydice, who is a nymph. Eurydice dies. It's different in the myth, myths. But um, in this case she uh because it's like depression era she wants stability and security in her life and she is married to a poet that's Um, not security yeah so she ends up signing her life to hades the god of the underworld who invented capitalism because he missed his wife persephone but he was who he was terrible too. He was terrible to her. Um, she Persephone is the goddess of uh spring and the underworld. Um, she was formerly uh Chloré, the or Cora. I can't remember. I always say Cora. I think Cora. It looks it's like K- it looks like Core. Yeah, K O R E. Um, she's the daughter of Demeter or Demeter. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, she rules the under- underground with Hades, but they have sort of fallen out of love with one another. They've forgotten why they loved each other. Mm-hmm. Um, Eurydice dies. Orpheus travels to the underworld to rescue her. Um, his music overwhelms them. Guides is the guiding light. They try, they make a deal with Hades if they can walk back to the surface without Orpheus turning to look at Eurydice she will be returned to life. It doesn't work out. He's a big dumb. He is not. He's a big dumb. Yeah. So it doesn't work out. <laughs> it was really good. And the music is super good. And what I found chilling, I mean, I found a lot, but what I found chilling was how how much what was happening in it 
still felt relevant today. Like oh, literally yeah. build a wall. Mm-hmm. And this was written And she wrote way that before. long before. And that's scary because it feels, I mean, I know now we kind of understand like we're not as far forward as, as we think we are, but it really kind of solidified that for me of yeah. like, we're still like, it's been 20 years or whatever um, from when we were in high school and felt like, you know, we were trying to, you know, gay marriage wasn't legal, all these other things. Um, and now it's just like, we actually haven't gotten that much more progressive, right? Mm-hmm. We're still having, I mean, Roe v. Wade being overturned is, is just an absolute shock and, and it's super sad. And, but that whole thing about how all the songs from Hate in Hades and Hades Town, about unionizing build a wall and we work we like our working is our life and that's Mm -hmm. okay like it really felt um still very relevant and i think what is cool though is that this idea of like working as life really does feel like it's being like you know chiseled at of like this isn't a good way to live i mean i don't know how many people have heard of quiet quitting um that's a terrible word for what it actually is about it's just working what you're expected (laughs) um just but anyways that idea is kind of being really questioned now and i think that's really exciting and i think things like katie's town really lends um talking points to that yeah um it was really good I the, love a good politics. The thing that gets me about Hades Town, just to talk about the ending pretty briefly, not mm. in specifics, but the story is circular. Um, once you have seen or listened to Hades Town once, you are part of the chain of retellings. Every show like of the ring. <laughs> every show of Hades Town is a continuation of the show before it because the whole thing is that they're telling the story it's like again. a living document yeah they're telling the story again and they talk about that we're going to tell it again um, and so the the play opens uh, with the introduction of the characters and the introduction of Orpheus and Eurydice and it closes with that same scene it closes again with the introduction of Orpheus and Eurydice and in doing so you notice once you've seen it once, things in the end scene are slightly different than the than the previous iteration. Yes, it's incremental. Yes, it's not what we want, but things are changing. So the fact that, and this is a mild spoiler, Orpheus is able to, with the power of his music, reunite uh, Hades and Persephone and remind them of why they fell in love with each other. Once he has done that, Persephone uh, is no longer um, staying like trying to get out of Hades as fast as possible and therefore causing the seasons to go straight from winter to summer with no transitory seasons of spring and fall. Um, So she arrives in the final scene, she arrives on time to the earth, meaning that has changed. Mm -hmm. Once that changes, there's more room for abundance. And that really just, that's how it feels like, like we have these small changes and they, they do matter. And we have to, we have to believe that they matter. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) We have to believe that they matter because just for our own sanity. But if, if we stop believing that these small changes matter, then they won't happen. That's, there's a very famous Terry Pratchett bit about that, about you have to believe in the little, in the lies like mercy and justice because we create them. Yeah. Um, and so in the, in the very final number of the play, uh, it's ostensibly a toast to Orpheus, but notably they face the audience 
when they do this. They don't face Orpheus, the character. They face the audience, and they talk about the necessity of dreams and of hope in shaping the direction of the world. And I think they are intentionally toasting the yeah. audience and asking us to carry that hope forward. Um, it's I really think good. Hades Town is so fucking good. It is really good. I don't know. I mean, Missy and I both cry easy, and I cried through like I would say two thirds of the whole thing. <laughs> um, but the the ending is really sad in that you're go- probably going to cry, but it mm. is hopeful. Yeah, so I s- it was ma- it was a masterclass. I cry at one number in the first act, and then I start crying around. Is it true? And then I don't stop until the end. It's very good. Um, Hades Town. It's good. Do you want to talk a little bit about Emerald City Comic Con? Yes, I do. So we were there. We went first, not my first con back actually, uh, since since what COVID began. San, oh, Diego. San Diego. Um, mine for my first back. Yeah, Emerald City Comic Con did happen this year. They did have a mask policy implemented at kind oh of the last God. minute. Um, I would say mask atten- mask adherence was pretty good. It was pretty good. They did have people out there with shirts that said masks are mandatory and they were carrying around masks. I only saw one booth that essentially refused to wear them and it pissed me off that even on Sunday they still were not wearing them. Yeah. Um, It's not hard. Overall, people were wearing them very well. Mm -hmm. There were some below the nose situations. I saw one woman in a mesh mask who asked me for help and I regret giving it to her. Um, But for the most part, I think it was pretty good. Like I felt, yeah. I felt as safe. I think, yeah. as I can feel, knowing that vaccinations were not required mm-hmm. and that masks are not one hundred percent effective, I felt about as safe as I could. I had pretty low expectations going in. There were some changes that were made, and like the panels weren't as good as they were previous at uh, previous um, years. And I wasn't sure who. I know some people had dropped out because of the mask um, policy being implemented so late um and people were like i'm not going if there's no masks yeah which is so fair fair. there's so many people that go to this it's 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 huge um so i really was like i don't know how this is gonna go and i was so pleasantly surprised there were still the artist alley was top tier this year so good so good i mean just just really good and really good variety Mm. it just was i really appreciated that um yeah, I thought it. I thought it was it was it, it was way better than I thought it was going to be, and yeah. I agree. I felt as safe as I could. Yeah, which is uh, I just want to be clear, not the same as it being safe. Yeah. <laughs> but I like obviously you're taking you're undertaking a risk yes. when you go to a convention in this environment. I think the worst part is that it they, is risky behavior. They could not regulate the temperature correctly. Oh God! So like I'd rather have be freezing because yeah. we're wearing masks and. Yeah that it gets hot um so there was there were some some places that were handing out fan like little fans and stuff like that but they need to fix that especially before packs oh god yeah. though packs is vaccine and, ma- and masks mandate. yeah thankfully packs i'm so happy for the vaccines and not just like vaccines and yeah no i appreciate that yeah. um still covid free thankfully yep, yep i took a lot of COVID tests. Yep. This Same. was my first really big thing back. So I yeah. used all of my COVID tests. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 
my hey, God, does. good news for everybody that I found out this week. Let me just share this little tidbit with you. Um, if I don't know if every pharmacy is doing it, but Walgreens allows you to place an order for up to eight tests and they will call your insurance and verify that the tests are free. And then you can just pick up eight tests for zero dollars. That's cool. I'm going to go do that. I got I am completely out. I now. got one hundred dollars worth of tests wow. for zero dollars. I think that the Safeway is doing something about that because I think I remember seeing a sign that was like, ask us about free COVID tests. It is entirely possible that they are. I just happened to I was looking at Walgreens because Walgreens has free delivery over $35 same day. Hmm. Um, And so I'll do that when I want COVID tests and I don't want to leave the house. And I saw on there that they were offering, you know, up to eight free tests. So I took advantage of it. So if you don't know about that, Take advantage of it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I really thought I was going to get COVID. I did too. I really thought I was going to get it because there's just so many people and like, uh, I mean, I wore my mask, but I wasn't super strict. Like I, if we sat at a table, I, for the most part, took it off. And yeah. so I was like, you know, I, I whatever. Um, and I did not get it. Yeah. So I'm very lucky. I am, I am pleasantly surprised by yeah. so much of this experience. So we went to, I went to two panels. You went to one more, I yeah, think. Yeah, I went to digital marketing. And no, you went to two more because you also went to the romance one. Oh, yeah. I went to digital marketing, comics, and then I went to, it was like sex and sex positivity in romance novels. Yeah. The first panel that we went to together was, um, God damn it, I had the name, to Feeling Super, the representation of mental health in pop culture, which was a panel of, I couldn't see them all. I want to say four to five people. Their names are unfortunately not on the panel list or on the panel description. So I'm not sure who they were, but um, a number of mental health professionals, including like social workers and that kind of thing, um, talking. Well, they didn't. The thing is, they have a, a non traditional panel structure, which is that they just take open questions from the audience and respond to them. Um, talking about pop culture and mental health and representations of it. I had mixed feelings about the panel, primarily because most of it was not about pop culture, which is what I was actually there for. I mean, it was about TikTok. It was about TikTok, um, which I care much less about. But I, you know, I'm curious about the representations of pop culture because of things like, you know, big shows like WandaVision, which is clearly about, you know, trauma and grief and that kind of thing and and the ways that can make us act. Um how does that, you know, how do people who are mental health professionals feel about that kind of thing? Um, so I wasn't as into the first half of the panel as I was the second half. And the second half was largely because I asked a question that I really had been chewing on for a thousand years. So a long time ago, we did an episode on the comic Polarity, which is written by Max Bemis. And I have been uncomfortable with what I said in that episode ever since. It has fucking haunted me, <laughs> which was something to the, I don't like the comic. I didn't think it was very good. Um, and I, I think I said something, I haven't listened to it, but I think I said something to the effect of, I respect the right to tell the story, but is it right for a mass audience? And I have felt uncomfortable with that ever since because I don't believe it's right to ask somebody to censor the story that they're telling. Like, especially, like, I don't know. I just feel bad about it, you know? I wouldn't apply that standard to somebody just... I don't think I don't you know if I didn't feel that it was like you know potentially dangerous or whatever I I probably would not apply that standard so it feels bad for me to apply it to this story about mental health um so I've been like really kind of grappling with that feeling ever since uh and so I asked during the panel what responsibility if any do creators of works about things that are you know mental health driven stories that may contain you know 
unhealthy ideas, such as getting off of your medication gives you superpowers. Um, what responsibility, if any, do the creators of those stories have for accuracy? And how do you balance that with, you know, your creative vision? And um, the answer, there was a few answers because there were quite a few panelists. But the one that I think really helped me like come to a conclusion here was the answer. And I, I'm so sorry, I don't remember the panelist's name. Um, all I can tell you, he was off to the far right from where I was sitting. Um, he was fun. Yes. Uh, he said something to the effect of medication is only one part of the mental health journey. Um, so to go off of your medication in fiction um, is not itself necessarily the bad part. It's the lack of recognition that medication is a tool in the toolbox and not the be all end all solution to you know mental health struggles. So that really kind of helped me realize like that really helped me like come to a conclusion about my feelings about polarity which again has haunted me since we did that <laughs> fucking episode uh ages ago um which is that i think the story would have worked better if the story was about like maybe medication isn't right for this character but something else might have been um I st that didn't make me feel like I like the story now. It just kind of helped me be like, how can I, uh, like, how can we talk about something like that, which is like not an invalid story to tell or something that shouldn't be told, but understand that there, you know, people may read that and think that it's a good idea to go off of their meds without supervision. <laughs> um, how do we balance that? How do we balance the need to tell a story with, you know, something that could have ill effects on readers um and the answer is well a it's the responsibility of the reader not of the storyteller but also you know maybe offer the alternative idea that okay maybe the meds aren't right for you but here's other things that are you know um which i don't think that the comic did it has been years since i read it but anyway the reason i brought that the reason i brought the panel up specifically was because it finally answered that question <laughs> for me <laughs> and i've been angsting over it for years yeah. I appreciated the way that they wanted to run it, but I like structure. Yeah. <laughs> and I think especially in situations like this, it didn't necessarily happen, but there's so much potential for someone to get that mic and just go off on something that's so cringy or not appropriate or whatever. And so like that freaked, I was like, oh God, this is not going to go out. Well. It went better than I thought it was. But yeah. I think, it, I don't know. I like the idea of like, we're going to have at least these talking points and not wait for somebody to bring it up because I think that's why that happened of we didn't really talk about pop culture because somebody brings something up and then that controls the rest yeah. of the conversation because it became largely about social media which yes. is not a bad no. topic for a, for a panel but because there's no structure we just end up snowballing yeah so. every question then became about it was like how what social what effect does social media have on teens and then what about tiktok what about yeah. this what about that and like those aren't bad questions um, it just wasn't necessarily about pop culture yeah, and representation. And, and that's what I was there for. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't a bad panel. I thought it was really interesting. It was really thought-provoking um, and informative. Yeah. Um, we also went to see the Mummy reunion so panel, good. which was so important to us. Um, so the Mummy panel featured uh, Brendan Fraser and Oded Fair. Um, and there's not a lot to say here other than that they are both so funny and charming and they don't seem to know that they are yeah. so funny and charming but and this is my thing they're actors so they might how do i know that they're telling the truth it's true mystery how, I, I can't trust actors at all mm -hmm. um 
but no, they were super funny. It was super charming. The uh, I loved how baffled they are by the success of the yeah. Mummy movies because they're like, this was a, it was a disaster to film. Yeah, they are so not afraid to be like, we all thought our careers were over. Yeah. We didn't know what this movie was about. <laughs> and they're like, the director was nuts. Yeah. Um, Don't fuck it up, he said. Yeah. my I, I think my favorite anecdote was the fact that they took out kidnapping insurance on them. <laughs> uh, and the kidnapping, the amount of kidnapping insurance was dependent on how big of a star you were in yeah. the movie. Um, they were just, they were really, really funny and delightful. I'm just so happy that there is like this Brendan Fraser career renaissance yeah. going on. It's like, it's so awful what happened to him um and how badly that impacted like him as an actor because i mean it's bad regardless but like he was really a rising star um and he just seems like a really nice genuine guy um to have his career derailed by sexual assault that is often not spoken about uh when a man is the victim i mean it's not spoken about ever but like you know you know um, so I'm just glad that people are, you know, really invested in Brendan Fraser's career. And Oded Ferris seemed like so he's so funny. Yeah. He was so funny. He was really good. It was fun. Yeah, it was a fun panel. I don't usually go to a lot of celebrity panels. Um, but it was the mummy. It was a, you can't not go. You gotta see you gotta see the mummy. And it filled up. Yep. It, oh god, it filled up early. Yeah, cool, because people were getting they didn't clear rooms. Yeah. Um yeah, it was good. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, I went to the panel Blood, Sex, and Drama, Sex Positivity and Advocacy in Fantasy Romance, which had the moderator was Piper J. Drake, who has written Wings Once Cursed and Bound. Claire Legrand, I'm probably gonna say people's names wrong, uh, who wrote who has a a adult, I believe it's an adult um fantasy book series coming out i believe it's the imperium trilogy a crown of ivy and glass katie robert who i really love um she's a great tiktok um she but she wrote neon gods which i i love um she, she has a whole dark olympus um series which she just announced is going to be 10 books long she has Jesus. she has three books out already um she also has another series that she's writing i think she's just a quick writer um, can't relate wicked beauty just came out in that in the dark olympus series i haven't read it yet but i hear it's pretty good and then the last um, panelist was maxim this is what i'm really gonna fuck up um uh, martino martino it's like n-e-a-u Probably Martino. 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 Um, and she had the uh, the Beast Charmer series. This was a great panel, especially for me, somebody who within the last year has started to read um, more adult romances and dark fantasy and dark romance and things like that. Um, I was really interested to hear what they had to say. I was a little worried about what what the audience would happen but you know what it was one of the best panel experiences of no questions were cringy or weird um there were a lot of talk about how these authors all grew up i believe all of them grew up in a very big purity culture and were terrified of sex and this was a way for them to explore that um which i thought was really interesting and makes total sense um but then there were also fun questions like what does the growl actually sound like um their answer for those who would like to know was it's more of like you feel it it's like it vibrates almost and like you feel it deep and then they talked about this tiktoker i don't know his name 
Um, and he uh, he has a TikTok with him and his girlfriend, I'm assuming, and it's very like a uh, a jam sub situation. And like they specifically talk about this one where she does something. I think she's a brat, and she does something, and he's like, "Run, bunny!" And like they're like, "That's it, that's it, right there." And it was very funny. Um, and at the very end, somehow they made this work seamlessly we all played smasher pass so all the panelists had were there played it and then they had two mics and people would go up to those mics and need eight people total and they'd they'd switch between the front and the back and they just brought up things like having sex in the sky and then it was smasher pass Hmm. um it was almost all smash lots of tentacles which makes sense katie roberts next um book coming out is about a kraken so yeah um but yeah it was a fun it was really fun i thought it was really insightful there was a lot of there were a lot of questions surprisingly about um trying to make sure the next generation grows up without feeling shame there was a really good question um from somebody who they're like i haven't really read a lot of romance but i'm really curious about it but i'm also i'm a teacher and uh she gave this example of how do i handle or not how do i handle but like I ha- she had a situation where there was a coloring paper. I can't remember what this exactly is, but essentially she had a, a coloring piece of paper and it was a unicorn. And the boy came up and was like, ew, I don't want that. That's for girls. And a lot of, you know, a, there were a lot of questions like, how do you handle that? And, the, and a lot of the answers were, will you ask why? But hers went a little bit further in that how does she not make the girl then afraid to pick that up? Because she will be stereotyped or she doesn't want to be like, oh, I'm a girl, so I have to do this. How does it make how, like, how do you empower that girl to still make that choice? And that was really insightful question. And um, it was a lot more of like asking why and making like letting the kid really talk it out. And this this whole thing was just to make this next generation be able to grow up without feel, being afraid of sex. And um, a lot of these books for a lot of people they talked about were the first time that they experienced a woman or a non-cis male having pleasure during sex um it was really good it was a really good panel uh i was i just appreciated how seamlessly it went through when there are so many things that could have been fucked up in this panel um and i wish that there were more panels that ran as seamlessly as that one (laughs) Oh, I forgot. We also went to the queer YA one. Oh, yeah. That was really good. It oh, and really I also good. went to another one, but I can't remember what it was. <laughs> I, I totally forgot that we went to that uh, to the queer YA one, which had a variety of um, queer YA authors on it. And they talked about like how they are telling queer YA stories. It was really delightful. I like that panel a lot. Um, shout out to the panelists who talked about Animorphs and Axel yeah. Marco. You're yeah. right and you should say it. Yeah. Um, the last thing I have is I just wanted to do uh, a brief run through of the zines that I got. Yeah. I'm not going to go through all of them like and give you a full discussion, but I got really good zines and I want to tell you about them. So I got We Are All Superstitious, which is by uh, Chan Chow. I hope I said that correctly. And this is a cute little love story about two boys, I think. I read it a bit ago. Um, both of whom have different superstitions, and they come together through that. Um, I got Mount St. Helens by Kiku Hughes, um, which is a very, very short comic. Uh, Kiku originally did it as a Twitter comic, um, and it's lovely. Uh, I also got So I Am by Kiku Hughes, which is a story about space and body horror and capitalism. 
Um, also very good. I got a couple of mini comics by Natalie Anderson. Um, I haven't opened this one yet. Uh, a pocketbook of witch folk and demons, which according to the author, uh, these are magic folk they used to see when they would be out on walks when they were kids, when they were a kid. Um, so I thought that was really neat. Uh, I got... The Shepherd's Sword by Ren Strap. And this is like the first chunk of a webcomic described in the back as a lesbian rivals to lovers webcomic about a werewolf, a retired sword and their adventure in a place that looks a lot like Northern Appalachia. Um, It was very cute. Love it. I'll probably check out the rest of the comic. I picked up the July fashion issue by Keezy Young. Um, Keezy Young is a delightful artist. Um, And this was like, it's been a little bit since I read it, but it was like this character who is struggling to find clothes that make them feel good. And also they're a monster hunter. Um, I picked up Saturn Returns No Matter What, also by Ren Strap. And this was a collection of short comics um, that were shared to out uh, Auto Straddle and the cartoonist Patreon. Um, these were so cute. I laughed out loud. I teared up. It was so good. I'm trying to find one of the ones that I that made me laugh. Um, that is short enough to share. This one of um, a person yelling at their plants and saying like "Shut up, ugly!" Just wilt already, and then flipping their plants off is very good. Um, I picked up another one from uh, Natalie Anderson, The Demon of Sourwood Mountain. I haven't read this one yet, so I can't tell you anything about it. My two favorite zines that I picked up are both by Sai, uh, who you can find on Twitter or letterboxed at at Cypress underscore trees. The two zines are vampires I would make out with <laughs> and horror movies that are kind of gay and or kind of trans. Um, these zines were so fucking funny. I was laughing aloud. Uh, I am a stan for Psy. <laughs> um, these were so, they were so fucking funny and they were so good. Um, I'm trying to find a, uh, what's a good bit that I can read? Um, this, I'm just going to read the description for The Descent. I haven't seen The Descent, so I can't say if this is accurate, but it was really funny. So I'm going to read it for you. Um, plot. Six friends reunite after a tragedy to go spelunking. They get trapped by collapse in the cave system and soon realize they aren't alone. My thoughts. Fellas, is it gay to watch six women climb rocks for an hour and a half? This movie is super claustrophobic and also has some cool monsters in it. There's one real stupid plot point toward the end, but other than that, this is a perfect film. You'll enjoy this if you like women, 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 women. Wow. Um, and then Vampires I Would Make Out With uh, was honestly just excellent. Uh, the intro says, welcome to my very educational scholarly work, Vampires I Would Make Out With. Um, what's a good one in here? I mean, there's Nadja from What We Do in the Shadows. So this is the entry for Nadja. Oh my God, Nadja is so hot. I don't think we should make out at her house because there are too many people living there. And as much as I love Laszlo, I don't want him crashing our sesh. <laughs> Maybe we could go to that park where they hang out sometimes. Nadja would definitely take the reins. I feel like we could really have fun together. Like we joke around and stuff, which is nice, but I'd have to make sure all my jokes are understandable to someone whose frame of reference hasn't evolved much in 500 years. <laughs> the only problem here is that Nadja wears like a million layers, so it'd be really hard to cop a feel. <laughs> Um, so this was a delightful zine. I don't know if these are available online, but I bet if you tweeted at Psy, 
they might send you one. I don't know that for sure, but they were lovely, lovely zines. I'm so glad that I got them. Anything else? No. Good, because that was an hour and a half. Well, we didn't do it for a while. I know. Um, thanks for joining us. That has been the podcast. Yep. You can find us online at fakeygirlscast.com. It has all of our previous episodes, episode transcripts for a handful of episodes uh, and other stuff. You can also find a link to our Patreon, where for a small donation per month, you can reward me for the amount of effort I put into these outlines. Not this outline. This was very easy. <laughs> but the <laughs> other ones. Uh, big thank you to Emily June for helping out with the transcription project. Thank you, Emily. Uh, next time, we'll be doing sex education. Woo-hoo! Very excited. It's so good. I'm so it glad so you good. got to watch it. It is so good. It's so good. I honestly hadn't like heard anything about it. I mean, I'm sure you've talked about it on the podcast. I but think because the last season came out in like 2021. It came out a while ago. Yeah. Because um, there was the um, H&M did a whole line for yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I just haven't heard a lot about it. And I think I always get it mixed up with Euphoria. Yeah, that's fair. I wish you would have watched Euphoria first because I, I'm positive you're going to like sex education more. Yeah. And it'll just be like, this is good. This but is- it's no sex education. Yeah. Adam's not in it. Oh, my God. Um, after that, we are going to be doing The Sandman. So we are going to be watching the first season of the show and covering the first two arcs, which is Preludes and Nocturnes and... And The Dollhouse? And the dolls the dolls the dolls house and then also a, a, another episode just came out like a bonus episode of That's the wild. sandman which is calliope and dream of a thousand cats so we'll be doing those as well i'm so glad they did dream of a thousand cats um and that's it all right catch you on the flip side i haven't said that in a long time i know damn <laughs>